offering my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triumph Pilgrimage. This is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sai, and as always, it's my pleasure to come to you from my studios at Prashanti Nilayam. This is the program where we go through the beautiful work of the Bhagavad Gita and we are in the fourth chapter. The last time around we covered four verses and I think as always we'll begin with a short summary of what we covered in that episode. We covered the verses 25, 26, 27 and 28. But before coming to those verses in verse number 23, Krishna had said that a jnani performs all actions as a yajna and thereby gets rid of all the karmas. And then he goes on to explain how for Nyani everything is Brahman, which is the Brahmarpanam Shloka. Then from the 25th verse, which we covered last time, Krishna speaks about the various types of yogis. They may or may not be Nyanis, and I think that's an important point. They perform different kinds of sadhanas to get to the point where they acquire that knowledge. But then he explains how everything that they perform, every kind of sadhana which is performed, is in fact a kind of a yajna. So in the 25th verse, Krishna first refers to the regular concept of yajna, where he says that some people very sincerely perform this ritualistic fire sacrifice to please different gods and devatas. And I think that's how yajnas are meant to be as given in the Vedas or the karma kanda of the Vedas. That there are different yajnas which are performed for different purposes. In fact, uh, yajnas are themselves sometimes referred to as kamya karmas. You have a certain desire that you want to achieve and you perform yagnas as a karma which will get you that desire. So, we saw how this is the regular way ritualistic people do this yagna and so Krishna says, when even this kind of a yagna, when it is done sincerely, even though it is being offered to a deity or one particular devata or a form of God, when it is done sincerely, even this process purifies the mind of the person. In the very next line of that same shloka, Krishna says that some yogis offer yagnas to yagna. And uh, this is a very cryptic statement and I had offered two interpretations for this. Yagna is also another name for God. So considering it that way, the interpretation would be that it becomes a contrast to what was said in the previous statement. In the previous line, it was said that some people perform yagnas and offer it to devatas. But if you say yagna also refers to the supreme, all-pervasive divinity, then he is contrasting that with saying that some sadhakas perform yagna, making an offering to the supreme lord himself. Another way of looking at that same statement is some people give up yagna as a yagna, which means some people give up the act of performing yagnas itself. And this statement then could be seen as a description of a sannyasi who gives up the prescribed rituals and becomes a renunciant. Because this again has this historical perspective where every householder was supposed to perform these yagnas as part of their duties and a sannyasi invariably gives up some of these prescribed yagnas which depend on which family that person comes from, which lineage that person comes from and so on and so forth. So giving up yagnas itself as a yagna could well be a description of a sannyasi. So I said, both of these suggest that there are different kinds of sadhanas that can be performed and all of these equally purify the mind. In the 26th verse, Krishna speaks about a couple of other yogis 
one who offers the indriyas or the senses in the fire of samyama or self restraint and some other yogis who offer the sense objects in the fire of the senses and we discussed how these two statements are the dual disciplines of shama and dama very popularly spoken of in the brahma sutras which again is one of the prasthanatrayas so the second line refers to a certain self restraint that comes when one consumes through the senses with the feeling that the lord seated within is the consumer and the senses are the fire through which i reach my offerings to the lord within and the sense objects the shabda roopa sparsha the form the smells the sounds all of these are the ahuti that i offer so the simple act of seeing hearing and going through life through perceiving the world through our senses becomes an act of a yagna so automatically there'll be a certain amount of self restraint and we spoke about how when we lead life with this attitude automatically we start wondering is this suitable for me to consume because the lord within is accepting this as an offering the first statement as i said is referred to as shama or mind control where the mind is completely turned inward by which means the senses do not interact with the sense objects at all and understandably it is a higher level than what we refer to as dhamma because dhamma is more of simple sense control but shama is one step higher which is a form of mind control itself and the scriptures say that dhamma is something that will lead you to shama eventually the 27th verse speaks specifically about recluses or renunciants or sanyasis one who has offered all his actions and sense organs and desires in the fire of atma samyama yoga and i mentioned that atma samyama yoga is going to be a completely different uh, chapter altogether there's going to be extensive discourse on that so we'll come to that but the verse 27 is a description of a sanyasi because clearly krishna says all actions sarvani karmani he says all actions sarvani indriyani all sensual desires actions cravings everything is offered in this fire of atma samyama yoga in the 28th verse the fourth verse that we covered last time krishna very quickly lists out host of other sadhakas who come under this list of people who perform yagnas he says that those who perform charity he calls it dravya yagna those who perform swadhyaya swadhyaya is a form of studying the scriptures it's a discipline of studying the scriptures it is also a discipline of chanting vedas regularly on a daily basis so krishna says some people perform the yagna of swadhyaya and he says then there are people who live a very austere life and that is the yagna they perform and some people live a very regulated life for when they take up a vow or what we refer to as a diksha right for a limited period they form they follow certain very very rigid disciplines so krishna says that all of these people are sadhakas and all of these people are performers of yagnas so a lot of spiritual and mundane activities as we can see are covered in the process the condition of course is one must have a higher goal in mind and one must do all such actions consciously as a form of worship and when that is done almost you can see the whole gamut of sadhana the whole gamut of even 
decent living as we're going to see towards the end of today's show. I think in one of the shlokas we'll see. Even normal regulated living can be described as a yajna and that process will lead to antakarnashuddhi or purification of the mind and it prepares you to become a jnani. So Krishna is going to mention a few more such yogas and yogis in the next few shlokas. A couple of very very interesting ones are there. So we'll go into those shlokas. We'll go into shloka number 29 right away. As always I have it in the voice of Brother Sham who has beautifully rendered it for us. We'll listen to shloka number 29. I'll give you a brief meaning and then we'll discuss in detail. Apane juhvati pranam Prane panam tatha pare Prana panagati rudva Pranayama parayana Others who are committed to the practice of pranayama offer as sacrifice the outgoing breath in the incoming and the incoming in the outgoing, restraining the cause of the outgoing and the incoming breaths. This is the meaning of shloka number 21 and I feel this particular shloka is one of the many very cryptic shlokas of the Bhagavad Gita. And as I've mentioned a few times before, one is the context of the message that Krishna is delivering. Krishna is speaking about the importance of karma and how karma prepares the mind for jnana. And we will see that Krishna will summarize this entire section with that reiteration shortly when we come to that shloka. So in that context, this is a very simple extension of the examples that we've been coming across so far and what Krishna has been giving. Pranayama yoga is also one of the forms of yajna and he says that how that is also just another form of or another method to purify the mind. So the continuous theme is to turn Arjuna's attention to a spiritual goal and explain to him that to reach this spiritual goal he must continue to do the duty that lies before him but with a slight change in the mental approach. Right? So that is the context of this entire discourse and the specific context of this portion is Krishna trying to tell Arjuna that all of these are forms of sadhana, all of these are forms of yajna. You do not have to think that being a warrior is not being spiritual and being a sannyasi is being more spiritual or becoming a mendicant is more spiritual. Right? So that is the context in which this shloka of course explained. This becomes one more example of people who specifically perform pranayama as a form of yoga. But also, if you look at Gita as a text itself, Gita touches upon many of the very valid practices and concepts from Vedas and Upanishads. In a way, these are all practices that are relevant even today. right? That is why Gita makes a reference of the many, many which are there in the scriptures. Some specific practices are made references to. I think it is in a way of showing us that these practices are still valid even for this age and we will all benefit if we practice them. For instance, there are shlokas that have very, very relevant interpretations of Ayurveda itself. In fact, uh, we had a couple of shows in which I think Brother Bishu had spoken to a, a doctor who has done extensive research in Ayurveda and he was referring to some of the shlokas in the Gita and saying how these can be directly used in the science of Ayurveda. Right? Similarly, some shlokas speak of some very complex concepts in Advaita, which is very cryptically mentioned in the Upanishads, but Krishna elaborates it here. 
we also come across some shlokas that have a very historic relevance a couple of uh, episodes back we spoke about the debate between purva and uttara mimamsa that is touched upon slightly in the bhagavad gita so in that sense like many other shlokas in the gita i think this shloka too has been interpreted in many ways because it has many such relevance in the way i just explained right now this particular shloka and of course the next shloka is also spoken of as one of the highest forms of yogic practice in some of the interpretations that have been given but some say it is a very simple pranayama referred to by patanjali that is one more interpretation some in fact speak of it as a very profound explanation of the pranayama forms that are practiced as part of hatha yoga as i said some people study this from the angle of ayurveda i guess all of these interpretations certainly cannot be covered during our program it is certainly outside the scope of this program and also i should confess that it is beyond my abilities to i just made a mention of all of these various interpretations that are out there because if anyone is interested i think they will find the study of this particular shloka very fascinating because it appears like a very simple shloka but it has got layers and layers of meaning for our understanding we'll probably confine ourselves to the references of pranayama that is given in patanjali's yoga sutra the simple reason being in swami's discourses swami has spoken extensively about this simple form of pranayama and we will find that it also you know doesn't complicate it too much when we are trying to interpret this particular shloka so let us go back to the shloka wherein the continuation of the examples are being given by krishna and krishna now gives the example of one set of yogis whom krishna refers to as pranayama parayana ha parayana means to make something one's chief focus you give your full attention to one particular activity that is referred to as parayana we call it veda parayana for instance when people sit and study or chant vedas sometimes the satsangs that we have in the hostel when we used to sit late in the night and one day elderly a senior teachers would speak to us about swami we would refer to that as a parayanam because any act by which you try to focus on one particular activity is referred to as a parayana so here he is saying parayanaha people who focus on one particular activity and they have taken up pranayama as their focus so they are referred to by this noun pranayama parayanaha we might wonder what is so great about this parayanam that somebody can focus on it and take it up as a yogic practice itself and do it as a sadhana completely there are many types of pranayama some are so advanced and their benefits are absolutely immense and deep that people who concentrate on this there is no end to how much one can achieve right from a simple thing of having a very very healthy life with disease free life till very late and advanced age to something like levitating all of this can be achieved through the simple practices of the various types of pranayama that's why when krishna says pranayama parayanaha it's a huge sect of sadhakas who purely gain mastery over their mind and body through the act of different types of parayana in fact there's a very beautiful excerpt from swami's vidyavaini and i thought i should make a mention of this because it's a very very practical thing it is very useful for you and me and i'm not sure how many of us want to levitate right but this particular aspect that swami is speaking about is very useful for you and me and i thought we should uh, make a mention of this so 
this is in Swami's Vidya Vahini, one of Swami's Vahinis, and I happened to come across this where Swami speaks about a very specific purpose for pranayama, and the pranayama Swami is referring to is very simple pranayama. So Swami says that the mind has two functions: thinking, which is alochana, and inner dialogue, which is manasika sambhashana. So these are the two activities the mind is always engaged in: alochana or thinking, and manasika sambhashana or inner dialogue. Swami goes on to say that thinking is a process by which we find solutions to our problems. We find ways of getting work done and so on. But this mental chatter, manasika sambhashana, Swami says, tends to escalate problems. It creates more confusion. It creates fear. and takes away peace of mind sami goes on to explain how it continues all through our waking hours because it does not require any physical activity it goes on in the mind so even when you're doing something else when you're busy with something else there is a possibility of this internal mental chatter continuing so sami says it continues as long as you're awake and when you sleep it continues in the dream it even leads to a fall in your health and it leads to faster aging right these are all swami's words and invariably swami says that this mental chatter is about the flaws that are in others and things that may not necessarily be relevant to us at this point in time and the end result of all this is we lose mind space and it becomes a huge obstacle in the spiritual journey apart from ruining our regular life itself right so swami emphasizes so much on this and it is so true I mean you just have to observe yourself observe your own mental chatter you will find that yes some things are related to the problems that we have or the people who trouble us but you will find an enormous amount of the mental chatter is absolutely irrelevant we are imagining things we are creating conversations in our mind we are thinking that somebody is going to behave with us in a certain manner we think that somebody will always react in a certain manner so much of imagination and we start spinning our own stories in our mind it's so true what swami says and so clearly swami says it will lead to lack of peace of mind it will lead to ill health and it will lead to faster aging also so those of us who are interested in staying young for as long as we wish to swami says we have to cut down this mental chatter then swami goes on to say that the upanishads have given us a few sadhanas to deal with this mental chatter and one of them is the practice of pranayama of course when swami goes on to explain that the act of seva the act of japam and dhyana and swami also says listening to spiritual discourses and performing mananam if you look at mananam mananam is also a certain form of internal contemplation or internal mental chatter but then you take spiritual thoughts you take positive thoughts and then when you do mananam on that this is a way by which you are giving the mind something to munch right the mind wants to keep thinking of something the mind wants to chatter with itself but then you give it positive thoughts to chatter about right so that is shravanam mananam nidhyasana which swami speaks about that's a different topic altogether but the most important point is the point that i wanted to highlight is swami mentioning how this simple practice of pranayama quietens the mind and it prepares us for the higher goal precisely what krishna has been speaking about in this particular portion of the fourth chapter 
because all of these yagnas he is referring to are means to antakaran shuddhi inner purity swami says in this chapter in vidyavaini that this regulation of breath is not some extremely difficult gymnastics or very formidable exercise the mind simply has to concentrate on the period of retention of the breath which is referred to as kumbhaka on the process of inhaling which is called puraka and the process of exhaling that breath which is rechaka so when attention is fixed on these three processes swami says that the inner talk on other irrelevant matters will slowly subside and mental strength will be acquired in this process so swami says it seems like a very simple exercise of just observing your breath but it is very effective so what looks like a very simple exercise of simply inhaling and holding the breath and exhaling puraka kumbhaka and rechaka is a very effective method to control and silence the mind and this is coming from swami himself so it's a beautiful tool and beautiful tip that swami is giving i just came across this when i was preparing for this program so i thought it's a very important thing that swami is saying such a simple technique that swami has given right because i often find this that swami speaks a lot of things much of it is for internal contemplation there are very very few things that can be practically practiced like for instance why is bhajans and seva so popular among swami's devotees or among sadhakas because that is something that can be done right or namasmarana for that matter so anything that can be taken and done which will lead to some kind of an internal improvement is i think always welcome so in that sense swami is saying that this mental chatter can be controlled by performing pranayama the word pranayama is made of two words prana and ayama ayama means to extend or restrain and prana is the life force in the body and i'm sure most of our listeners will be familiar with what is referred to as the pancha pranas or the five life forces in the body prana apana vyana udana and samana of these five the first one which is simply called prana the other ones are called apana prana vyana prana udana prana samana prana the first one is called prana prana right or simply prana the first prana is associated with the breathing process that is why basic pranayama is nothing more than simple conscious breathing exercise and one of the most popular forms of pranayama is referred to as anulom vilom pranayama i'm sure many of our listeners and swami's devotees do practice this on a daily basis where we close one nostril inhale through the other nostril retain our breath for a few seconds and then exhale through the other nostril we'll come back to this process this is also one of the techniques that swami himself has spoken about in his discourses there are different types of pranayamas but this is one pranayama that swami himself has spoken about in fact if i am not wrong during 1993 samakos in one of the discourses when swami was speaking about this swami himself demonstrated the anulom vilom pranayama to the students who were gathered there right so it, it's a technique which has if i could say the blessing of swami so swami says there are other types of pranayama which are very complicated which should not be taken up without the guidance of a guru but this one is very simple and swami has himself demonstrated it so 
for our listeners who would like to pick it up this probably is one of the good techniques to pick up so prana in general means the life force associated with the breathing process but more specifically prana is also the exhaling step within the process of breathing and the act of inhaling is referred to as apana because to be able to draw air within the body we need the apana prana the apana prana is that vital air which pushes air downwards right so for inhaling you need apana prana and for exhaling the scriptures say that you need prana so as a noun prana and apana are two of the five panchapranas but as a verb if you look at it apana is inhaling and prana is exhaling so apana is synonymous with puraka and prana is synonymous with rechaka or exhaling and kumbhaka as i said is the period where we retain the breath and swami explains clearly when speaking about this anulom vilom pranayama of course swami doesn't use that uh, phrase anulom vilom swami just calls it pranayama that the time that we take to inhale should be exactly same as the amount of time we retain the breath and the amount of time that we take to exhale what we have breathed in and we are supposed to do this consciously and slowly and slowly increasing the duration of these three processes that is the meaning of pranayama extending this breathing process slowly right swami so would say that the more breaths that a being takes the number of times one inhales and exhales within a minute will actually decide the lifespan of that particular being and so i would often give the example of a dog which has this very very fast inhaling and exhaling process and we know that a dog's lifespan is much lower right so swami would say even as human beings if we are able to extend this inhaling and exhaling process this puraka kumbhaka and rechaka can be extended it will lead to extension of one's lifespan so there are yogis who have mastered this pranayama to such an extent that a single puraka kumbhaka and rechaka cycle would be performed for even hours and sometimes even days right and that is how they could live for hundreds of years right this is something which ami would say and this process also calms the mind so much so that eventually in this moment of kumbhaka when the breath is retained they actually are able to hit samadhi right so it seems like a very simple process but when done with that intent and that's why i think probably krishna is making a special reference to pranayama parayana the people who take up this as a sadhana in itself so let us come back to our shloka here remember krishna is going to describe the sadhana of pranayama also as a yagna that is the background so he says apane juhpati prana in apana or inhalation prana or exhalation is sacrificed prane apanam and in exhalation inhalation is sacrificed i'll repeat it again apane juhvati prana in inhalation exhalation is sacrificed prane apanam and in exhalation inhalation is sacrificed 
Now, what is the simplest meaning of this or simplest interpretation of this? When I'm inhaling, I can't exhale. So to inhale, I must for that time period give up exhalation. Similarly, when I'm exhaling, I must stop inhaling. So in that sense, I sacrifice prana in apana and apana in prana. In the very next line, he says, prana apana gati rudhva. Prana apana gati means the movement of the inward and the outward flowing air or stopping the inhalation and exhalation which is what we refer to as the third step in pranayama which is kumbhaka. So prana apana gati rudhva means stopping this movement of inhalation and exhalation which is the reference to the process of kumbhaka. The word kumbhaka itself is very interesting. It comes from the root word kumbha. Kumbha means a pot or a vessel where you retain something. And when we perform kumbhaka, the lungs become like a pot. It holds or retains the breath that has been inhaled. Right? That's why this the retaining step is called kumbhaka. So this is a general process of breathing. If you look at it, inhaling, just holding your breath and exhaling. Very similar to the other activities that Krishna gave as examples for a yagna. Simple control of the mind, simple control of the senses, simple charity, which even most of the worldly people do. Similarly, this inhalation and exhalation is done by everyone. But in a way, this retention or kumbhaka is what makes this difference. Because when we very normally breathe and exhale, we are not going to be holding our breath behind. right? So this kumbhaka is the process which kind of makes this slightly different from regular or normal breathing that we do. And you cannot maintain the same time if you don't do this consciously. Right? The whole idea of this particular pranayama is, Swami says, the amount of time that you take to inhale should be the same amount of time that you retain that breath and the same amount of time that you exhale. So Swami says that you cannot do this unless you are consciously doing it, unless you are probably counting or you have a timer. right? So if you do not do it consciously, you cannot do it as a pranayama. It becomes a regular breathing process. Of course, Swami goes on to say that with practice, one masters this technique and one is able to do this without concentrating the mind. And in fact, Swami says that you don't even have to use your fingers to close one nostril and open the other nostril. Automatically, you will find that you are able to breathe in through one nostril and exhale through the other nostril, right? So Swami says these are all advanced processes. But to start with, Swami says you will have to keep a count mentally, which means this breathing process becomes a conscious exercise. And that is what is referred to as pranayama parayana. Simple breathing cannot become pranayama parayana. But when you look at it as a sadhana, then it becomes a yagna that leads to antakarana shuddhi. So in the context of the discourse of the Gita, this is just another example of a simple act that becomes a sadhana when performed consciously as a yagna. But it is one very important spiritual practice, right? So I think apart from just being an example, Krishna also touches upon some of these important techniques that are out there in our scriptures, which are relevant even today in our uh, spiritual sadhana. 
In fact, when we had spoken to Mr. Raja Reddy, who lived with Sami for many, many years, I think over 20 years, a great bhajan singer, a great devotee who had the opportunity to serve Swami physically for so many years. But apart from all of this, he was a very, very great sadhaka who would never miss his meditation sessions and never miss his yoga and pranayama. And when we were speaking to him, he said that uh, he spends a lot of time doing this pranayama. Almost more than an hour every day, he performs only simple pranayama because it's an extremely simple tool which has such profound benefits. And that's why I thought, though this is just another example, I thought it is worthwhile to spend a little more time on this. So this simple Anulom Vilom Pranayama, Swami says, has the ability to quieten the mind, strengthen the mind and prepare the mind for higher goals in life. So that is the 29th verse where Krishna gives the example of one set of yogis who concentrate on Pranayama. We'll go to the next verse where again few more examples are coming in the same context of Yajna. So this is verse number 30. We'll listen to it and uh, after giving a brief meaning, we'll discuss in detail about it. Apare niyatahara Pranan praneshu juhvati Sarve pyete yajna vido Yajna kshapita kalmashaha Others, having their food regulated, offer the vital forces in the vital forces. All of them are practitioners of yajna and people who have their impurities destroyed by yajna. Again, a shloka that has many, many interpretations, as I mentioned. Many of them are very valid and applicable to different kind of yogic approaches and I think that's why it's not uh, really worthwhile going into them unless one is very seriously taking up these practices. But we will try to go through a few of them which probably gives us a more realistic understanding. This is the explanation that I'm giving are not the only way to explain this particular shloka but something which we can relate to and something which we can understand. Right Now after speaking about Pranayama Parayanaha, Krishna speaks about another set of yogis. He says, Apare, others, are Niyata Aharaha. Ahara means food. Niyata means prescribed or regulated. So, Niyata Ahara means prescribed amounts of food or regulated food habits. Niyata Aharaha means those that follow strictly these kind of prescribed rules and regulations with regard to food intake. We've often heard Swami say this in his discourses. In fact, so many times Swami has mentioned this. Swami would say that if you eat three times a day, you're a rogi, meaning that you'll it'll lead to disease. If you eat twice a day, you're a bhogi, which means you're a regular person, worldly person. If you eat once a day, you're a yogi. So many sadhakas follow this very, very strictly that they eat just about enough to keep the body healthy and alive. They don't cater to the cravings of the body and the cravings of the tongue. So such people don't eat for pleasure, right? So Swami would often make this other statement in his discourses again. Many, many times he has repeated this. Swami would say, hunger is a disease and food is the medicine. Thirst is a disease and water is the medicine. And Swami goes on to say that we must consume food with such an attitude. So a niyata ahara is one who is 
conscious about what he or she eats and how much is eaten. And as we have seen the pattern, any simple task when done consciously, deliberately, with regulation and with a higher purpose in mind, it becomes a form of upasana, it becomes a form of yagna. As I mentioned a while ago, there are five pranas which govern the body and our life in general, especially our physical body and of course even to a certain extent our mind and our spiritual journey too. Breathing involves a certain prana, swallowing involves a specific prana, digestion involves a prana, excretion involves a prana, the spreading of nutrition involves a certain prana and so on. So the functions are divided among these five pranas. Now when I perform this simple act of eating as a worship or a yagna, I offer the act of eating into the process of digestion. The digestion is offered then into the process of distribution. Then the remaining which is unwanted is then pushed out. Right. So this whole process can be spoken of as one prana being offered into another prana as a yagna, isn't it? Just like the breathing process was described as apane juhvati prana, prane apanam. Apana is offered in prana and prana into apana. The process of eating, digesting and excreting can also be spoken of as one prana. That is the first prana being offered into samana which takes care of digestion. Samana being offered into vyana. The vyana takes care of distribution of nutrition. And then the remaining food is offered to apana to be expelled from the body because apana takes care of excretion. Of course, I am just giving you an idea. A simple act like digestion involves more than just one prana. But I am just giving you an idea of how different pranas are involved. And it's almost like relay race. One does its task and passes on to the other. Or something like a you're having a lineup where one task is finished and the other set of people take over the task. Now going back to what uh, Krishna says in this verse, what exactly he says is, Pranan praneshu juhvati. Prana is offered into prana. There is another very significant way of looking at this particular statement. I will not go too much into that detail. Many advanced techniques of yoga can be defined through this one statement. Swami would say how many yogis can live without food for many many years. Just through breathing. They draw all the nourishment from the world just through breathing and then they sustain themselves. Now this act can also be spoken of as sacrificing one prana in another. Eating can be spoken of one prana being sacrificed into the other. But even this act of choosing only one prana to draw all your nourishment can also be spoken of as sacrificing one prana into the other. Right? That is one of the ways of looking at it. I'm saying, so that's a little advanced thing. It's not probably relevant to us, so we'll not go much into the detail. But another beautiful interpretation of this prana being offered into prana is for us to perform any vigorous activity, like say jumping up or lifting something big or an example that the Upanishads give, that is pulling the string of a bow in order to shoot an arrow. If you look at all of these, the Prana involved in such activities is referred to as Vyana Prana. The Vyana Prana is supposed to be the Prana which is governing all the 
energy centers and the nerve centers in the body right and if you look at observe all of these activities intense activities jumping lifting something or you know doing something which calls for a lot of attention if you look at it we would either be holding our breath or we will be partially regulating our breath when we are doing such activities so that is described as offering prana apana in vyana other way of explaining pranan praneshu jukhpati when you are trying to perform something you regulate your breathing and the vyana prana takes over so that is one more way of explaining the statement pranan praneshu jukhpati like talking about the regular pranayama swami would say that when mastery over this particular technique is attained as i mentioned the inhalation and exhalation will happen automatically through one nostril and the other nostril without usage of the fingers but then the other thing which happens with that practice is the inhalation and exhalation will activate the ida and pingala nadi and the retention of breath will activate the sushumna nadi and this nadi system the nerve point system is as i said completely governed by the vyana prana and this also is why when vyana exits where prana and apana meet right according to the ayurveda they say where prana and apana meet is where vyana is so these are all very advanced yogic techniques and i just want to give you a glimpse of how when we say that the bhagavad gita is not only a dialogue between krishna and arjuna not only is it a, a pep talk that krishna is giving not only is it something that is speaking about karma yoga but it is also a yoga shastra it is a brahma shastra it speaks about all of these yogic techniques in a very very cryptic manner and i think just to give you a snapshot of that i'm making a reference to all of this but the simple thing that for us we need to look at is that these are all different types of sadhanas that one performs and krishna is saying all of these sadhanas are different types of yagna so krishna is putting all these practices from simple sense control to advanced yogic techniques in one bracket right yes the intensity if you look at it of the sadhaka may be different the way a yogi in the himalayas is dedicated himself to sadhana cannot definitely be compared to the feeble efforts that you and i are making in the intensity and the focus is completely different but they are all same in the fact that all of these help in preparing the mind by purifying it and making it ready for jnana and that is the only context that is necessary for us when we are going through the shloka but i'm just giving you a preview of the various meanings that this simple statement that is made in the shloka can have and does have so that is how krishna concludes this particular verse he says sarve api yete yagna vidaha all of these without exception are practitioners of yagna and they are yagna shapita kalmashaha krishna uses this term to define all of these people that he is referred to he calls them yagna shapita kalmashaha kalmasham means impurities i think we have come across this word already once in the gita series so kalmasham means impurities shapita means to be destroyed yagna shapita kalmashaha means those whose impurities have been destroyed by this process of yagna so krishna is saying if you are a karma yogi performing karma as yagna if you are a sanyasi if you are following different yogic practices 
if you're leading a life of austerity if you're leading a life of charity if you're leading a life of seva etc 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 all of that but you're doing all of this consciously for the purpose of antakarna shuddhi or purification of the mind then you are a yagnyak shapita kalmashaha the one who is trying to purify oneself through the process of yagnya no one of this is greater than the other it is not that a mimamsaka who performs yagnyas and a vedantin who is better between the two there is no argument in that of that sort it is not that what a grihastha does is greater than what a sanyasi does or what a sanyasi does is greater than what a grihastha does all of it are nothing but different pathways to attain jnana and all of these prepare the mind by offering internal purity or antakarna shuddhi so that is the whole idea of what is being conveyed in this entire section i think we'll have enough time to go through the next verse too the next two verses are summary of this whatever krishna has been telling in this so far but we'll listen to verse number 31 and we'll discuss about that before we conclude this week's program यज्ञशिष्टामृतभुजो यातिब्रह्मसनातन ना लोकोस्तोन्यूसुट द रेमनेंस ऑफ द सैक्रिफाइस विच आर लाइक नेक्टर गो टू द इटर्नल ब्रह्मन दिस वर्ल्ड इज नॉट फॉर द मैन who does not perform sacrifice how then can he have the other o arjuna so krishna had said in the third chapter that this world has been created so man can live man can sustain himself fulfill his needs fulfill his desires too in fact that is one very beautiful point that krishna made that you can fulfill your desires through this world it has been offered to you but when he does it with an attitude of yagna that whatever he uses is received as prasadam after all his actions or karmas are offered as ahuti then actions do not bind him and that is the best way in which these great resources in the form of the world is being offered to you have to be used and krishna reiterates that point here he says yagna shishta amrita bujaha He is referring to all of these people with a title. He says, "Yagnya shishta amrita bhujaha." Yagnya shishta means what is left over from a yagnya. Amrita means nectar, right? So, yagnya shishta amrita is the left over from yagnya, which is actually like nectar or amrita. Yagnya shishta amrita bhujaha means one who consumes the nectar, which is the prasadam from a yagnya. yanti brahma sanatanam such a person progresses towards the eternal brahman so that is what krishna says here yagna shishta amrita bujaha yanti brahma sanatanam person who consumes whatever he consumes as the nectar which comes from a yagna such a person proceeds towards the eternal brahman this particular phrase yanti brahma sanatanam is actually an indication that the reference is being made to a sadhaka krishna is speaking about a yogi a karma yogi or jnana yogi whatever you can speak about because a jnani is not distinct from brahman 
and jnani identifies with brahman right there is no reaching brahman in the context of a jnani so a sadhaka who leads life in this manner slowly progresses and moves towards that state of immortality as i said i think somewhere around the 23rd verse and uh, when krishna starts speaking about a yagna at that point he is still speaking about a jnani he does not speak about a yogi of course whatever he is saying the details are useful for a karma yogi but the reference is to anyani and that is the context in which the brahmarpanam shloka comes anyani looks at what is being offered who is receiving the offering the act of offering and everything as brahman right but here he says yanti brahma sanatanam moves towards that eternal state of brahman which means now the reference is clearly to a sadhaka who is in a state which is distant from that brahman state so somebody who is a yagna shishta amrita bujaha one who consumes whatever he consumes as a leftover from a yagna after performing this process of a yagna such a person now starts moving towards brahman the next line is also quite significant what uh, krishna says there he says ayagnasya for one who doesn't have this yagna approach to life ayagnasya is one who does not live life in this manner ayam lokah this world na asti is not there or there is nothing this world can offer to a person who is such a person who does not look at everything as a yagna kutah anyah how then can something be achieved in the other world so krishna says even to lead a regular life of welfare of health of happiness in this world you need this approach right this is a very very significant point that krishna is making in summary yes if you have higher goals in life yes if you have the goal of uh, moksha or mukti in your life there is no question you have to lead life in this manner you will have to lead life as a yagna as uh, with an attitude of sacrifice there is no doubt about that but what krishna is saying here is a person who is a ayagna who does not live in this manner who does not look at whatever he is doing or whatever she is doing as a yagna and who is leading a very carefree life who is leading a unconscious life right unconscious in a different sense we are not consciously doing we are just going as the tide pulls us we go after what attracts us we run away from what uh, we are scared of an unregulated life right an indisciplined life so when a person leads like that such a person will not get the benefits of this world itself forget about the other world forget about the attaining of moksha and all of that you cannot get the true worth of this world itself and when we are talking about the true worth of this world we are not referring to material wealth we are not referring to worldly authority we are not referring to the pleasures that the world can give what is it really worthy that this world can offer us this plane of existence that we are in can offer us it is happiness it is peace it is good health as swami would say health is lost something is lost which means swami gives a little bit of relevance at least to health if money is lost nothing is lost swami says so these are the true wealth that this world and this life can offer us happiness peace health in love and satisfaction the joy of being useful to others swami says these are the true wealths that you have in this particular frame of existence or plane of existence that we are in and even to enjoy this you need this approach of looking at everything as a yagna and somebody who does not have that 
he is not or she is not going to get the best of this world itself then where is the question of achieving something in the other world so only when you lead a life of a yagnashishta amrita bujaha you can enjoy all that this world itself has to offer so a greedy a self-centered person does not get to enjoy this world itself and i think that's a very very significant and beautiful reiteration that krishna is making here if after going through all of this we say oh this is too complicated i don't want to lead this kind of a life and i let's keep moksha we'll keep moksha in suspended animation we'll come back the next time around and think about it krishna is saying here forget about moksha forget about reaching brahman forget about identifying with brahman even to lead a proper good complete life in this lifetime itself this kind of an attitude is required this kind of having a regulated life swami would often say ahara vihara asana pranayama all of this it plays a dual role it helps us in this lifetime also and it also helps us in taking us to the higher goals of life so i think that's a very very important point that krishna is making in the context of this particular discussion where he's referring to a karma yogi we saw in the third chapter in the second chapter where krishna said a karma yogi should have his focus on the higher goals of life if for some reason we do not have that desire at this point in time swami says that's all right even for a regular life you should have this attitude do whatever actions that you perform as an offering to god except whatever comes into your life as a prasadam as the amritam which comes out of a yagna right swami says that and that is a way by which you get the best out of this lifetime itself and it also leads to antakarna shuddhi or internal purity which is a very important and necessary step in achieving jnana so with that dear listeners i think we'll conclude this week's episode i most humbly offer this effort at swami's lotus feet and i deeply thank all of you for joining me week after week if you have anything to share as i said many of these things are interpretations some of these things when swami has explained in his discourses i think i can speak of it with the authority but in cases where it is not clearly mentioned in swami's discourses or i have not come across that in swami's discourses many of these things i'm sure my study is not absolutely thorough in that sense so if some of you have come across some things and swami has spoken about this and you would like to call uh, our attention to that please feel free to write to me i would be happy to share it with all of our listeners and benefit myself too so feel free to write to me you can write to listener at radioside.org or you can write to me personally at prem at radioside.org i'd be happy to receive all your comments and feedback i'll meet you all again next week till then take care jai sai ram